Hello, and welcome back to Meet the Investigators from the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. I'm your new host, Brenda Medina, and I'm a reporter here at ICIJ. If you're joining us for the first time, Meet the Investigators is a podcast where we sit down and hear from one ICIJ member from across the globe. Today, we are joined by Omaya Sosa Pascual. She's a Puerto Rican media entrepreneur. 15 years ago, she co-founded the nonprofit Puerto Rican Center for Investigative Reporting. The center has since become a respected journalism institution in the Caribbean, especially for the investigative work that came out of Hurricane Maria in 2017. Tonight, Maria's direct hit, devastating Puerto Rico. I have been following the work of CPI, the Centro de Periodismo Investigativo, for years. And I was in the Miami Herald covering the hurricane season in 2017. Even in Florida, reporting on Hurricane Maria was intense. And there was the CPI, putting out incredible stories under what I can only imagine was even more pressure. In that moment, we had never had a hurricane like this before. It just swept the whole island. Nothing was left. We have never had that. We're used to strong hurricanes, but you know, it was in before it was maybe half of the island of the north or the south. There was always somewhere to go to, but that happened, and we were in a complete blackout. So uh, we didn't know uh, about our family members. We didn't know about our coworkers. We had no electricity. The supermarkets were closed. There was no cell cell phone signal. There was no internet. It was impossible to drive around uh, the city because all of the debris and all the uh, trees were just blocking the streets. You didn't know what to do. We had no uh, plan. We never thought this would happen. So we didn't know if uh, the others were alive or dead. We knew nothing. And I remember in my case, I was just here. Everybody in in my street was just outside with beach chairs trying to avoid heat and basically thinking, what are we going to do? And just, so I just uh, said, I'm sorry, but I can't uh, keep on doing this. I'm gonna put on my uh, backpack with my computer and I'm gonna walk somewhere to see what's going on and to see if I could get signal. Omaya didn't have a plan, but she knew that as journalists, she and her colleagues needed to go where the stories are. I was able to find a hotspot I don't know how many blocks away from my house. Maybe it was like 10 blocks because that was an internet provider, a fiber optic company. And I saw a couple of people around that building just trying to connect. They were kind enough to just open their service to whoever, you know. And that's when I started receiving some WhatsApp messages saying we have to meet. First, they needed a place where they could get together. Omaya asked the owners of that fiber optic company if they could use their building as an impromptu newsroom. And people started showing up. So we just met there standing. There was no chairs, no tables, no nothing. And uh, halfway through our meeting, we, we found out all the reporters had a story in mind already for what, from what was happening in their communities. And I had my story in mind because in my area, there are some doctors living and I was comparing the information they were coming back with when they started to go to the hospitals to see what was going on with the data the governor was giving. He would say there's six, six deaths, for example, 
And I would get from a, a doctors I know telling me, you know what, in my hospital, it was 10 only in one day. And we have 80 hospitals in Puerto Rico. So I said, there's something really off here. This, it's not what he's saying. And I proposed that story. They went back to pen and paper, manually putting together a database for hurricane-related deaths. They collected information from police stations, hospitals, doctors, and mayors. The center documented hundreds of deaths many more than the official count of 64 people. In the end, the investigation made waves. The reporting pushed the government to commission a third-party count, which, a year later, estimated deaths to be in the thousands. But the reporting process was tough. You would leave for towns in the morning, and you could not speak to anybody until you came back in the afternoon. You couldn't come back at night because there were no lights on the streets. It was really dangerous. Personally, it was uh, very tough. It almost, it almost cost me a divorce that I always tell this story because uh, one day I arrived uh, almost at night to get an interview with the major of the army who was in charge of the rescue operation. And they just made me wait until night and I couldn't leave. The stress and worry came to a head that night, even for a husband that has always supported her in her work. He said, I've had it, you know, your family comes first, uh, the kid is crying, I'm trying to start up the, the electrical uh, generator, and uh, I'm full of a diesel, and the mosquitoes, and there's no food, and everything, and you're working. Omaya hadn't always set out to be a journalist. She wanted to be a film director. I studied in uh, Tulane University in New Orleans, communications, and I, I just, I love my island. I wanted, I didn't want to stay in the States. I wanted to come back, and I figured I couldn't make a living from that here. And I said, I'm just going to tell stories another way. I, it's the same thing. You tell stories through film or you tell uh, written stories. So I started writing film criticism. That was my first journalism job. <laughs> Um, for a newspaper here, and, uh, you know, things are crazy. They ended up giving me a permanent job as a business reporter. I had no business experience, and uh, an editor convinced me and said, take the job. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. And she's like, take it. You, you can do that. You can do it. And I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And three or four months after, um, they recruited me as, the first, uh, as part of the first investigative unit at the newspaper. So it seems like I had something and I changed from, let's say, uh, thinking about films and maybe, you know, entertainment to just deciding that this was a passion for me. I, I wanted to do investigations and I never looked back. I've been doing investigations for more than 27 years now. But the Center for Investigative Journalism was a whole new undertaking. Many people don't know the, the full story of the CPI, but when we started, it was too regular journalists that had, had no uh, financial or no business uh, knowledge or experience, just with a dream, and uh, that recognized there was a great need for investigative journalism in, in our country, in our island. They knew they would have to fight for access to public records constantly. So they made litigation part of the center's core mission from the beginning. We decided to found it at that university, Inter-American University in Puerto Rico, because uh, they have a very strong legal uh, program, and we decided to do a hybrid, uh, hybrid organization doing uh, investigations, journalistic investigations, 
publishing them, but also uh, conducting litigation, uh, access to information litigation, because we knew for sure that uh, we would not be getting the documents uh, we needed from the government. And in Puerto Rico, we don't have FOIA. We have to go to a court to, to ask for the documents. Me and uh, my colleague, Oscar Serrano, knew that we were going to have to litigate because we had uh, had to do it in our respective newspapers um, a couple of times. And uh, with the pass of time, we also noticed that there was uh, less willingness from the paper to uh, invest money in lawsuits. They were having financial trouble, like many, many uh, legacy outlets. So it got to the point where no um, mass media in Puerto Rico were filing lawsuits for access uh, uh, for access to information, and uh, that was a big uh, a big hurdle for invest uh, journalistic investigations and for our our work. Basically, many important stories were not coming out because we were not able to get information from the government, and the outlets were not uh, filing suits with big goals and little resources. They launched online in 2008. We just started this uh, adventure with a, a yearly and annual 30,000 budget, dollar budget from a university that was kind enough to support us. Uh, and that was for everything, salaries and everything. Needless to say, uh, we had to work two, three jobs at the same time. Uh, it was really crazy. I mean, nobody believed in the project. Everybody thought we were crazy, um, that that was impossible. 15 years later. Today we have uh, more than 20 um, journalists and editors working with us, a budget of more than $2 million. And uh, we have our own uh, little building and, you know, we're really happy and proud. Their years of work paid off in a big way for their investigation about how many people died during Hurricane Maria. Omaya credits one of the center's most important lawsuits won a few years earlier with making the investigation possible. In 2009, the center sued the Puerto Rican Demographic Registry, forcing it to release its mortality registry. The, we, we got access basically to all the information of uh, causes of death in Puerto Rico and who dies, uh, of what, where. It's really a very rich uh, database. And we have, uh, the court gave us unlimited access. That meaning since the, the People are dead. The HIPAA laws, uh, privacy laws don't apply. They put public health in front of any privacy. And uh, we have basically, that's how we were able to conduct our uh, Maria's death investigation with that database where we could find out all the mistakes the government had been making, attributing wrong causes of death to people that actually died because of causes related to the hurricane. The database has become an important reporting tool for the many crises Puerto Rico has faced in recent years. We still use that for many things. When COVID came along, we, we did our excess death investigation with that mortality database. Uh, we had the earthquakes. We, also, we could also investigate. Uh, then we have done investigations about the impact of electricity, lack of electricity with all the problems we have with our electrical grid. With, uh, with that database, how people are being impacted, their health and their you know, uh, mortality by that uh, lack of basic service and so on. So for me, it, it has been crucial. And many researchers in Puerto Rico have accessed this uh, database thanks to our lawsuit. The impact of the center's work 
has reached far beyond Puerto Rico. The CPI is now a hub for investigative journalism in the Caribbean, helping reporters in the region produce accountability stories even with limited resources. There are very big challenges, particularly in commercial media outlets, that uh, each time it seems like they have smaller budgets, smaller uh, staff, and less and less can be, can be done. In the Caribbean in particular, there are uh, many challenges we have found out through the collaborations um, we work with, especially smaller islands have almost no media outlets, maybe one or two, and they're very weak and journalists don't have support. Then we have like five different languages going on in the Caribbean at the same time. And it's all um, a huge challenge, but it's it has been really rewarding. We have been doing this for six or seven years now, um, doing joint investigations with several uh, islands and countries and territories participating. Also, the political situation is a great challenge because half of the Caribbean countries are still colonies, believe it or not, in the 21st century. So it's like crazy, you know, for you to find out something about the British Virgin Islands. You have to go all the way uh, to England to see what's going on legally, and it makes no sense. But we're Caribbean people and you're from the Caribbean. We're all kind of the same. Even if you speak English or you speak French or you speak uh, uh, Papiamento or whatever, we have the same kind of attitudes and cultural thinking. And that has allowed us to to be a bridge between them. Uh, Our our greatest teachers are uh, ICIJE members like Marina Walker, like Emilia. And uh, we... You know, we learned how to do these kind of collaborations, um, basically, uh, to do them well through ICIJ. Our, the speaker at our first meeting, um, Caribbean meeting in 2015, was Marina Walker, actually. And she gave a, a master conference on how to collaborate. Where do I see things going? I, I think we have to work together and collaborate and protect each other. And that's part of what ICIJ promotes. And that was Omaya Sosa Pascual. That's it for this episode of Meet the Investigators. I'm Brenda Medina. Thank you for listening. We'll see you all next month.